Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thank you for listening to Your Working Life, my podcast series featuring thought leaders in the career and personal growth arena. I know that you spend a significant portion of your life at work, so I'm on a mission to provide you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. And I'm so delighted to welcome my very special guest, Deborah Himsel, to the show today. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about your brand new book, Beauty Queen, Inside the Reign of Avon's Andrea Jung. Really excited to get started. But I would like to take a moment to tell our audience about you. Deborah Himsel is the author of Leadership Sopranos Style. From 1999 to 2005, she worked alongside Andrea Jung at Avon as Vice President of Global Organization Effectiveness. A former Vice President of Deutsche Bank, Deborah is a leading leadership consultant for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, KPMG, ExxonMobil, Bain, Citigroup, and Walmart, to name just a few. She teaches at Thunderbird School of Global Management and the Helsinki School of Economics at Aalto University. She's been featured in various media, including Fox News, CNBC, and Bloomberg. And she wrote commentary on The Apprentice for USA Today. And Deborah's joining us today from Gold Canyon, Arizona. So, Deborah, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us. Great. Thank you. Okay, my dear. So why did you choose to focus on Andrea Jung for your new book, Beauty Queen? Well, I have been in the leadership development space for over 25 years. And one of the things that I found is that storytelling is just an incredibly powerful learning tool. And Andrea Jung, who was the CEO at Avon Products, Avon Ding Dong, Avon Calling, yeah. uh, Products, household, um, all sorts of products. She was the CEO from 1999 to 2012. And for me, what makes it a compelling story is that for about three quarters of her tenure, she was on everybody's most admired CEO list. And you couldn't pick up a periodical without seeing her there. And then about the last two or three years of her tenure, she went to one of the most reviled CEOs and on everybody's worst CEO list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you mentioned, I worked alongside of her for several years. And when I left, I just couldn't imagine Avon or Andrea faltering because I saw her as such a strong leader. And I was really curious and I wanted to understand what happened. Um, how could such a strong leader end up on everybody's worst list? As well as I wanted to say, what is there from this story that we can learn from? And, and that was most important to me to understand the lessons learned. And the book is in two parts. Um, the part one focuses on the Avon story and it's really balanced. So it focuses not only on kind of what went wrong, but what went right and what went wrong and what we can learn from it. And then part two is around the broader leadership lessons about gender, culture, whatever we can learn from that. And, and I love that it's separated into two parts. And I especially, I'm intrigued by how you've studied this one single leader who can help others navigate their leadership journeys. It's really impressive. And since you knew her so well, what do you attribute her early successes to, Deborah? 
Yeah, and I tell you, it was exciting to be at Avon when she first took over. Um, just a, a side note, um, she was at that time in 1999 only one of three women that was um, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. So when she got promoted, there was such hoopla. Dan wow. Rather came in and did a whole profile on her, and it was so exciting. And one of her strengths is that she is extremely strategic and visionary and a wonderful um, marketer. And when she took over, the Avon brand was in real trouble. And, and it was perceived as not just my mother's brand, but my grandmother's right. brand. And so she had such a vision for what the brand could be, how to position it, how to position the company for women's empowerment. And you can tell with the excitement in my voice, she just really galvanized the organization and uh, this double-digit growth um, for six, seven years, um, really for her whole tenure there, doubled the size of the company and just did some really wonderful things, both with galvanizing the organization and then just with her pure marketing uh, genius. Talk about rebranding, exactly, yeah. because I think we all have a fond memory of Avon and, and how yes. that intersected either in our early youth or in our adulthood. So I bet that was extraordinary to be there at that time. Yes. So yeah. you, you saw this progression throughout her career. So can you pinpoint a, a primary mistake or a flaw? Gosh, I you know, something where you knew, yeah. OK, we're going in the opposite direction. Yeah, and, and this was where all the research came into play and all the interviews, but one of the key learnings that I had was that our biggest strength could also be our biggest liability. And mm -hmm. as I mentioned, she had such a strength in the strategic, the what can be. And one of the things that I found is that leaders, we either have a tilt towards the vision, what can be, or a tilt towards the operations and the make it happen. And her, she tilted so much on the strategic side that in the kind of second half of her tenure, the organization was really struggling uh, with the operational sides. There was a lack of IT spend on infrastructure. There were just issues getting orders out the door to the representatives, and she didn't have that focus and attention to detail that she really needed. And at the end of the day, it wasn't one thing that went wrong, and I talk about that in my book, Beauty Queen, but it was really the culmination of a lot of different things. But really, the root cause was that she didn't either figure out, in the end, how to shore up her non-tilt or how to complement yeah. it. Interesting. So we all know that in, in recent times, we've seen some women leaders struggle. So Mary Barra, for example, at yeah, GM, right? Yeah. And the recently ousted executive editor at the New York Times. So I believe that women forge a different professional path than men. Do you think that women leaders face different challenges than their male counterparts? Um, you know, what's interesting, and, and I don't think that Andrea's fall from grace had anything to do with gender. And okay. in fact, I, I think that had she been a man, the board might have taken action sooner. Ah. But in, in, in my work on, on the book, as well as in my own coaching and consulting practice, I, I find that women do face some um, several challenges which are different in, in, than men in the workplace. And one, and we found this at Avon as well, is that 
we had difficulty moving women into general manager roles or roles that required really oversight of the of a business and of a profit and loss. And one of the root causes that we found was that women tended, at least at Avon, I found this in other organizations, tend to tended to stay in more traditional uh, female tracks such as HR, marketing, marketing right. yeah, and 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 Andrea also, she was just really a marketing expert. And that one of the challenges is how to figure out how to purposely move women in more rotational assignments and also get them P&L uh, exposure early on. And that's one of the issues at Avon. Andrea, that's, again, if she would have had more experience, especially on the op sides, I think that would have been helpful. And, yeah, and secondly is that, um, and, and Cheryl Sandberg really talks about that in it, and there were book lean in that women just need to raise their hands for these high visibility assignments and that men oftentimes will just raise their hand even if they're right. not ready and women will have to sometimes feel like well they have to be just so ready and almost more than ready to raise their hand so that's just a couple that I highlight in the book and that I found in, in my experience. I agree with that so much that really resonates and we see that in the educational system right because women don't always pursue uh, MBAs, for example, in the yes. business realm, right? That's still sort of an 80-20 split in, in admissions. Yes. And you're right. Women can be careful to a fault where our male counterparts will say, I'll figure it out. Give me a yes. shot, right? Exactly. So really interesting to see you talk about this in the book. There's also talk now of a glass cliff in addition to a glass ceiling. Can you explain that and why this is a danger to women leaders? Yeah, and um, how I have um, heard about the glass cliff, it, it's actually a concept that was coined by some researchers in the UK to explain some findings that they had that in a dire crisis, some, sometimes organizations would be more likely to select a, a woman who they say, well, we select a woman and that'll give us some good press in this time of difficulty. And it also might be someone who presents maybe a softer image, a little bit more empathy, but also in there, maybe kind of saying this in closed doors, she can be expendable. Uh -huh. That either um, things don't blow over or things blow over, we can kind of push her aside and then we can bring a man in to kind of clean everything up. And they have some hard data around this. And what I, I don't know if some of your listeners saw the um, Matt Lauer Today Show interview with Mari Barra. Uh, GM CEO last week, but Matt Lauer, he didn't use the, the term glass cliff, but he basically asked her if she thought that that's why she was put in the role. Um, and, and she said no, but I think the real lesson learned, and again, uh, from, the, from the research and people that I've talked to, is that sometimes women, or this is a hypothesis, that okay. sometimes women may be so excited to get this role of a lifetime and even though it might be in a crisis situation, or maybe they don't know about the crisis, that they might not do their due diligence to really kind of peel the onion and see what they're getting themselves into. So 
that's, I think, the real lesson learned is just go in with your eyes open and know what you're getting yourself into and know what you need to do. So I think it's it's still interesting. Um, and there have been some other cases that they've been talking about is this glass cliff. So it's really been in the news a lot. It has. It has. Thank you for defining that for us. You know, one of the things that undermined Andrea Jung was her tilt. And I love your yeah. phrase, her tilt towards ideas and vision. So yeah. uh, how can people avoid being undermined by their tilt? Yeah, and I think and for me and all the leadership development work that I do, and, and I always really espouse that the key to all of this is really understanding yourself mm-hmm. and understanding your strengths, what you're particularly good at, knowing how you can leverage that, and then knowing what the downside can be. And I'm actually doing a keynote for a women's uh, network meeting in a couple of weeks, and we're really focusing on this leadership style and really understanding at the core of what's your tilt. Is your tilt more strategic? Is it more on the operations side? Are you more of an empowering leader and very inclusive, or are you more directive? And understanding that each of those has its strengths, but it also has its downside. And so one of the other lessons that I talk about in my book, Beauty Queen, is about this notion that it's very hard to be everything. And that if you can think about, what am I really good at? And is there somebody that can compliment me or can I surround myself with someone that has the exact opposite of me and I was fortunate when I was at Avon that um, at the time I was there Andrea as I mentioned was CEO and then she had a COO also a woman by the name of Susan Croft who was actually her exact opposite and sometimes people called them the yin and yang and which was wonderful and what made it work was that each one really recognized their own unique unique strength and they actually would when Andrea would come up with the five great ideas Susan would say okay that's great Andrea but we only have 10 million dollars so pick your best two or three right right and so, I think you bring up a really good point you've got to stock your team with tremendous yeah. talent that that covers yes. your blind spots Yeah, and I think my experience has been that some leaders don't look at it that way. They may think, well, I need to just hire the best person and don't think about what are really the skills that I need. And like I said, what are the things that I'm just not good at? And it's probably going to be really hard for me to develop what I'm not good at. And I better really spend my time on really what I'm good at. I think that's really astute advice. And and you're right. It takes a lot of humility to come up with that list of blind spots and weaknesses. But I think it's a very strong and confident leader that can say, okay, let's let's hire this. Let's, Let's stack the team with excellent talent to compensate for that. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So I love how you say that people are never too young for a mentor. So who were Andrea Jung's mentors and how did she seek them out? Yeah, and um, one of the things that I've learned is mentoring is still alive and well. Yes, thank and, goodness. Yeah, and Andrea, what I found 
is that she was very purposeful and deliberate about the mentors that she chose. And one of the things that Andrea always talked about was the downside of her Chinese American upbringing in that she tended to be a pleaser, have difficulties with the tough conversations and was not always assertive as she needed to be. So in one of her first jobs when she was at Bloomingdale's, she saw this uh, woman, Barbara Bass, who was one of the first female vice presidents at Bloomingdale's. And in Barbara, she saw that combination of both assertiveness as well as compassion and empathy because Andrea didn't want to lose that part of herself that was um, empathetic and inclusive, but she knew she needed to develop a better balance with the assertiveness. So she went up to Barbara and said, I really, I want, I want you to be your mentor. And really by watching Barbara and Barbara coaching her, she really developed some better skills and a mindset about the impact of assertiveness. That's great. Yeah, and later on, uh, she knew she needed to develop more of the um, operations side, and she went on General Electric's board and um, had the fortunate uh, uh, gift to have Jack Welsh mentor her in uh, some of the more operational aspects of the business and then just really running the large multinational. So, again, very deliberate. And the just the last thing, she didn't have one mentor, but she said, had several throughout her career and sometimes more than one simultaneously, again, focused on specific areas that she knew she needed to get better in. That's extraordinary. I, I like to call it uh, personal board of directors, right? Who are the yes. people on your yep. team that you yes. can cultivate to help move forward? And uh, Deborah, you and I know that there is a particular difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Would you like to talk about that? And, and if Andrea indeed had sponsors throughout yeah. her career? Yeah, and um, that's been, again, and I had so many learnings uh, from my research in writing the book, but um, mentors really help to prepare you for the next role, but sponsors make it happen. And they're the ones that will pound on the table and say, I want so-and-so for the job and really advocate for you. And Andrea had um, the former CEO of Avon that was a sponsor for her. She also was very deliberate about cultivating sponsorship from board members before she was a CEO. And they were one of these that really advocated for her, especially when some thought that maybe she didn't have enough experience uh, to be CEO, etc. And one of the things that, that I I found that um, can be, I think, helpful for others is that you, this is, again, you have to raise your hand um, and say, I'm, I, I know I need to go find a sponsor. And part of that is being able to self-promote yourself, to recognize what you have that you can offer and not be hesitant to do that. And sometimes I find that uh, women don't like to self-promote and say, well, I'm not, if I just kind of hang in there and do my job and, and do it well, then somebody will know that I'm there. And mm, that's just not the way it works, as you and I both I, know. I, I'm, I'm smiling <laughs> ear to ear in agreement. Yes, it's sad. And I think here's where our male counterpart 
counterparts get it. You've got to put yes. yourself out there. You've got to self-advocate. And it's not about being an obnoxious bragger, right? You can do oh. that with humble confidence. And and I agree, women need to be their own best self-advocates. Very, yeah. very well put, Deborah. Okay, so you talked early on about how women in the C-suite are extremely rare. And you unearthed a new study from PricewaterhouseCoopers stating that women CEOs are more likely to be forced out of office than men. So what do you think the future holds for women in corporate America? Yeah, well, on the positive note, um, the recent statistics that I saw is that uh, we now have 5% of women leading Fortune 500 companies. And this contrast to when Andrea took over, as I mentioned, there were only three. So I think that we just made such huge progress. But when you look at though, it's still only five. Right, right. We've come a, a, a little bit, big baby step forward, but nonetheless, we have a long way to go. Yeah, and on the positive note, um, a lot of the companies that I work with are focused more on this, and they have strong women in the pipeline for these uh, senior level positions, but. Uh, the real lesson learned is that it's not going to happen without deliberate focus on the pipeline, as we mentioned earlier, getting those high visibility assignments, those rotational assignments, making it easier for women to move with their families. Um, and I do a lot of work with global companies, and that's just such a, a potential obstacle is moving when you have small children in schools and a trailing spouse. And we just still need to focus on that more. And then I, the last thing is that What I found is that we've made great progress in overcoming some of those overt uh, biases and overt discrimination, but some authors have titled it uh, second-order gender bias, which are those more subtle things that are happening. Um, And I still work with a lot of companies where it's an old boys culture and they say the right things, but when it comes to making sure that women are getting the feedback they need to really progress. If it's around, as I mentioned earlier, taking away some of these obstacles to movement, they're still not where they need to be. So I think we we can't um, uh, ease up on the accelerator exactly. or the gas just yet. And and I think for your for your listeners, what I found is that every organization is in a different place in their evolution in terms of how they're working through some of these issues. And know where your organization is, raise your hand, and, and try to help move it along. Excellent advice. So, Deborah, your book, Beauty Queen, Inside the Reign of Avon's Andrea Jung, is extraordinary. If you could distill one piece of wisdom that people can take away from her, what would that be? Her meaning Andrea. Yeah, the biggest lesson, uh, be authentic. Um, She was so authentic with her leadership style and capitalize and focus on your strengths. Don't try to be something that you're not or someone leader that you think you should be, but really be true to yourself. And then just along with that, be self-aware and know what the upside and downside of that is and figure out how to shore it up or complement it. Excellent. Deborah, tell us how we can buy the book, Beauty Queen, and how we can follow you online. Great. Um, Well, my website is himsel, H-I-M-S-E-L, 
endassociates.com, all one word. And the book is available everywhere. Uh, in <laughs> Everywhere to a big bookstore, local, online at amazon.com, barnesandnobelong.com. Uh, and uh, walmart.com and you can go on my website and it'll tell you how to follow me on Twitter and all those social media places and I try to keep the website up to date with current articles and blogs and to-dos and I love to hear from people. Um, I've been hearing from people about the impact of the book and that just warms my heart so please reach out. Well, you have great content to share, and I would highly recommend Beauty Queen. It's an excellent read and certainly gives all of us tools and ideas about how we can forge our careers as leaders. So, Deborah, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise on the show today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and I, I hope your listeners will as well. I have every confidence they will. You take good care, and I hope that our professional paths cross again soon. Thanks, Deborah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into Your Working Life, where my goal is to help you design your career destiny so it doesn't happen by default. True career and life satisfaction is possible, and it's time to embrace what you love doing so you can do more of it. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Take good care.